0: Are Kyrie and James Harden going to sign their extension? His trade value is not there. And when you hear reports... He been paid $16 million of his $33 million salary. I know about people that have certain clauses what in their contracts. What happens contract. next year with Giannis Antetokounmpo? He will be eligible for a Superbacks next summer. If he resigns. signs a new reality, the players are going to move
1: the players are, are, are not going to want to spend their whole, you know, life. And because they didn't want to go into the penalty of the luxury tax, they traded James Harden. Somebody's going to be making $50 million dollars to find a year. Some- he probably could have made a little bit more money this summer in free I agency. I think he could have got a lot more
2: in the offseason. You got a chance to secure the bag. You got No question.
0: What's going on, party people? My name is Stephen Bagel, and this is another episode of the Bird Rights Podcast. Now, you may be listening to this on the Bird Rights feed. You may be listening to this on the Roundball Ramble feed, but I am here with Corbin Ford. As you guys know, Corbin is a very frequent flyer on Bird Rights, and obviously, if you're listening on the Roundball Ramble feed, you're you obviously are familiar with Corbin and listen to his work as well. So, yeah, we are here today because there was a Huge trade in the NBA yesterday. Probably the biggest name that we could anticipate being traded by this year's trade deadline. For mostly the last two trade deadline's has happened. Pascal Siakam is an Indiana Pacer. So, Corbin, before we get into everything, first of all, how are you doing, today?
1: I'm doing good. Tired. Very tired. But aside from that, No real complaints, I guess? Except i am ball with you, as always.
0: Yeah, well, it's almost Friday. So, we saw, I think it was on Wednesday, Tuesday night, I suppose, that Shams Charania tweeted that, you know, the Pacers and the Raptors are in pretty heavy talks for Pascal Siakam. And then Jake Fisher from Yahoo posted an article on Wednesday basically saying, oh, it's actually a surprise to a lot of front office executives that the trade hasn't already happened. Within two hours of that article, a friend of the pod, Jake Fisher's article,
2: the trade did in fact happen. Woj was able to beat out Shams on this one, and Woj is the first one to tweet it out. But anyway, the tweet comes across. It was Pascal Siakam to
0: the Indiana Pacers in a three-teamer. Or it was Kyra Lewis coming from the New Orleans Pelicans into Indiana, Pacers, cap space. And then because they are, let, let me get in the little nerdy front office stuff in a second. It was Kyra Lewis, it was Bruce Brown Jr., who was the, basically the salary matching aspect of it, and Jordan Nwora, and then three first-round picks, two 2024 first. One being Indiana's own. So figure that's going to be within the 15 to 20 range. I believe it's currently 17, but it's tied for 17, 18, 19. So within that range. Um, it was another 2024 first round pick where essentially it's the lesser of four different teams first. It's really going to come down to who's battle between OKC and the Clippers and whoever has the. I suppose that would be lowest pick, not highest pick. The lowest pick out of whoever has a better record between the Clippers and Thunder is that's whose pick they get. And then there was a 2026 top four
2: protected pick. Mm -hmm. So, Corbin, what was your initial reaction when you saw this trade um, transpire?
1: I was a bit shocked by the return, even though we knew the Raptors had zero leverage in this situation, right? Even though we knew Pascal Siakam was going to be traded, extension didn't look likely, Usai Jury definitely looked like he favored the future of Emmanuel Quigley and um, um, Scotty Barnes, right? And so you knew that there was going to be a trade done and that more than likely, you know, Siakam was going to get a whole lot back in return. But even then, I mean, you basically did it for roster flexibility, financial flexibility. Like Bruce Brown is a good player, but not a good fit for this team. He, you know, you went from all these six, nine guys to all these like six, five, six, six guys. Excuse me. Bruce Brown's another guy who can, you know, play decent defense, facilitate pretty well, but isn't a very good shooter, right? Just shooting just 32% from three, has been up and down for his career there. So, congratulations. Now you've joined the other good or subpar shooters um, as a Toronto Raptor, you know? And so, I think what's most curious is whether or not Toronto decides to move on from Brown to get some, you know, uh, Second round picks, maybe, you know, an aspiring contract to match since they can't aggregate his contract in with anyone else. Like, that is something I'm curious about. But ultimately, that was the first thing I thought was that's it? I mean, you didn't even get Andrew Nemhardt. Like, you didn't get, you I mean, sorry, Andrew Nemhardt's good. So is Jalen Smith, but you didn't even get Jalen Smith. You didn't get Andrew Nemhardt. You weren't getting Jerase Walker, right? Like, what did you do? And ultimately, looking back, listening to others who are a little more knowledgeable than myself, you see that, hey, it's the best they could have gotten. But now it just makes me think how much more they probably could have gotten had they decided not to make the trade for Yaka Pearl and just blow it up last offseason, or last regular season trade deadline.
2: So, uh, d- good transition, because that is something I do want to touch on, is last trade deadline.
0: But there was a report that Sacramento was close to acquiring Siakam in a deal oh that involved Kevin Herter, Harrison Bones, and two firsts. But Siakam essentially said, I don't want to sign long-term in Sacramento, so the deal fell apart, essentially. Clearly, Siakam feels differently about Indiana. I don't think Indiana would have given up three first-round picks if they had any doubt that Siakam could walk. Um, let me ask you, though, because you did just mention the fact that Toronto's last trade deadline was a the team, them in Chicago, that were anticipated being the two big sellers. Clearly, that did not happen. Not only did Toronto not become sellers when they had Siakaman and Obi with a year and a half left on their deal rather than expiring deals, but they traded a first-round pick that's top six protected for Yacupoto that now, when they decided to rebuild a year later, they no longer have their first-round pick in this draft, potentially. Obviously, it's top six protected. I think right now it would be the sixth pick. So, they would have it, which is probably even worse if they get it if they keep the pick this year because then they lose their top six protected either in twenty five or twenty six if they're if they're not bottom six.
2: Mm-hmm. so,
0: and for those of you who aren't as familiar with the draft, this is a pretty weak draft class. I mean, there's not really any consensus at the top at all. so yeah, i mean i'm I'm not saying you can't get a game changer at six or a franchise cornerstone in this draft. But my my point is they acquired, Toronto acquired two picks in this draft that are mid to late first round picks in a week draft. And based off what they did at the deadline last year in order to acquire Yacobo, you know that they lost the potential to have the number six pick either this year, next year, or the following. So let me ask you, Corbin, this might be a hot
2: take. Is Masayu Jerry a little bit overrated as an executive at this point? Woo! I mean... Yeah, I guess so. I mean... He, he left Fred Lee's walk for nothing when he couldn't trade him at the deadline. He
0: ended up getting Kyle Lowry when he was a free agent to a signing trade in Miami where he got something, although not a ton. And... Instead of pivoting last year when he knew they weren't going to do anything, make in terms of like the playing of the playoffs, he kept Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi when they had even more value because they had the extra year on their deal. Instead, traded the first for Podol. Now they lost their first when they're tanking,
2: and
1: this is no, I think the- you're right. well, he almost reminds me of like a Joe Dumars. Okay. And it says, remember Joe Dumas taking over Detroit, made all the right moves, building up the dynasty, right? Got the championship, and then it all fell apart, right? Whether it was, you know, moving on from Ben Wallace or thinking, hey, we can, you know, prioritize um, flexibility by moving, you know, our our prize player in Chauncey Bowles for expiring contract, Allen Iverson, to then make a play for Ben Gordon and Charlie Villanueva. But like, it just, the wheels fell off. Austin Day in the draft, you know, like he did good up to a point, reached the, the peak, then the deer and then fell off. I think that's maybe more like Masai Ujiri. Because even in Denver, he was solid. In Toronto, he built this really good situation. And the standing of that has not been something he's been good at. And certain GMs, I think you have to look at through a lens of, okay, they're good for a rebuilding project. They're good for sustained excellence. Like, Mitch Kupchak, for years I thought was good with, like, keeping pieces around for your cornerstone players, your Kobe's, your Shaq's, your Kobe's, your, your, your um, Paul Gasol's. But when it came to, like, Rebuilding, or the between the margins, those are some rough years. Like Mitch Kupchik was not good there. You see him in in Charlotte, like some rough years. So I think it's more of that. But because people hold um, because people hold Usai in such high regard, I guess I'm gonna have to agree with you on that.
2: Not only
0: would I say Masai might be a little overrated based off the past few years, I think Kevin Pritchard, the Pacers' um, president of basketball operations, is extremely. Underrated. Mm. I mean, he he was able to take this team without even bottoming out and make them a potential contender in the East. I mean, between getting Halliburton for DeMontis Sabonis and being able to get Siakam without giving up Matherin or Jairus Walker or Nemhard or Obi Toppin or Jalen Smith. He was able to retain all those guys and still find a way to get Siakam. I mean, I think Kevin Pritchard has done a hell of a job with how little he had it. Like, do you remember when they traded for Paul George and he got Sabonis and Victor Oladipo and everyone was counting him, saying, oh, that was an awful um, haul for Paul George. He got substantially more.
1: I do. You're right. That was about 20- and Victor Oladipo
0: <laughs> knocked him out a bonus. Both hey, became multi-time yep. all for the Pacers.
1: 18? Yep.
0: And then, obviously, Sabonis turned into Halliburton. Oladipo, obviously... Had the injury, and he wasn't, um, him in Indiana wasn't really sustainable. So, given what he's had between the Paul George situation, between the Depot situation, between the Sabonis and Miles Turner fit, I think he's done Kevin Pritchard an excellent job in Indiana.
1: Yeah, I mean, he set the table for this, you know? And I, I point this out, whether it was, you know, the renegotiation extension for, um... Um, Miles Turner, where he got his money up front, you know, a lot of it in a year where they weren't going to use cap space and now it declines in a spot where they have the money, right? The prudency in making the trade for Tyrese Halliburton and having him in in fold, you know, like all, I I mean, Jarris Walker, I think the verdict's allowed. But aside from that, like other things in between the margins? No, like this has been built through him and it's been really well done.
2: So something interesting
0: I read on The Athletic, Sam Amick from The Athletic said basically Golden State made a push for Siakam. Siakam didn't want to go there,
2: which I don't know if that's just Siakam doesn't want to, you know, he might not have as much
0: of a featured role as he would in Indiana or Indiana, even though they have Halliburton, Siakam could be more of a star. Or if that's just an indictment on Golden State's a mess, as much as beautiful as it would be to live there, Uh, And as great as the culture is, Bob Myers left for a reason. I I think Golden State could be a sinking ship, and I don't know if I want to resign though long term. So Mm -hmm. I thought that was interesting that, you know, Siakam didn't really have –
2: that he chose a city like Indiana to basically go to over Golden State, essentially.
1: Yeah. That's wild. I mean, but again, maybe the, the ship be sinking, right? He, he saw Bob Myers get out and he's like, Hey, like, you know, I, I see the situation. I don't like my fit there. I don't like it. Also. I mean, the lack of shooting overall, like, yes, you'd be a secondary scorer, but then you're in like the Andrew Wiggins mold because it does flow around Curry and you don't have a lot of outside shooting. So you go into a Toronto basically, you know, there, I, I agree. I thought, I, I thought he was, I didn't think he was smart for turning down Sacramento if that's indeed what he did, but for golden state, the fit wasn't great.
2: So before we continue on Siakam, let me just kind of get
0: into my nerdy cap front office CBA type stuff.
1: This is what we come for. Oh, this is what we come for.
0: Way, first of all, I love how the Pelicans just swooped in here and found a way to get under the luxury tax at minimal cost. The Pelicans have never paid the luxury tax in franchise history. And the fact that, oh, yeah, we'll just we'll throw in Kyrie Lewis and second round pick just to get under the tax. Easy, easy business. Uh, I I just thought that was um, funny. But the way this deal was structured, everyone anticipated on Tuesday night when Shams reported they were close on a deal, that it was going to be Bruce. And it was tweeted out, I believe, that Bruce Brown was the guy the Trader centered around rather than Buddy Hill. Mm -hmm. So to make the math work, everyone assumed, okay, it's going to have to be Bruce Brown, Jalen Smith, and
2: Nuara. Or it's going to have to be Bruce Brown and Obi Toppin, essentially, with the picks. So when Jake Fisher reported, oh,
0: it's Bruce Brown and Nuwara had been discussed. I'm thinking, who the hell's then has to be Jalen Smith
2: by default? Then the deal gets tweeted out. Oh, yeah, Kyra Lewis is going to Indiana. So typically,
0: when a player gets traded to a team like Kyra Lewis to Indiana, he can't be aggregated with other players. For this reason, Indiana is a cap space team. So they still, they took Kyrie Lewis in cap space. When a player is taken into cap space, he can be aggregated with other players if that team took him in with cap space, essentially, rather than an over the cap team. So because Indiana had cap space, that was how they were able to aggregate um, Kyrie Lewis into this deal. So I thought that was fascinating. The other thing I found fascinating is that When the Raptors traded OG and Anobi to the Knicks, Precious Achua went in a separate deal. Basically, it was one big deal, but they broke it up into two. Well, Precious Achua
2: formed this trade exception for Toronto, which was, I don't know, three and a half, four-ish million. What Toronto basically did is they took Jordan Noir
0: into that trade exception as a separate trade, and took Kyra Lewis and Bruce Brown for Siakam, essentially, which formed a $10 million, They basically turned a $3 million trade exception into a $10 million trade exception just by, you know, basic cap gymnastics. So, fun caveat. I just called Masayu Jerry underrated, but that was a nice little sa- uh, overrated,
2: but that was a nice little savvy move that he made there.
1: He's, I mean, that was a good breakdown. That was a good breakdown of, of okay. the creation behind the scenes.
0: So, I mean, yeah, that, that I mean, that's how it went down. It's It was the most efficient way for all three parties. Pelicans get under the tax. Raptors get a $10 million trade exception plus the picks. And again, I don't know how Indiana was able to pull off keeping Jaris Walker, Benedict Matherin, Andrew Nemhard, Obi Toppin, and Jalen Smith. I anticipate Indiana making another move given Toppin's about to hit free agency, given Jalen Smith might be a luxury at this point, given they already have Myles Turner, Siakam, Isaiah Jackson, Obi Toppin. I don't think Indiana's done yet. I-, I do anticipate another move being made. Um, One other interesting caveat I noticed, John Holling... Hollinger wrote on The Athletic that Bruce Brown was already unhappy in Indiana.
2: So he's only played one. That was interesting. Or? Yeah, that yeah, was he, interesting to me. So let me ask you. Does Toronto trade Bruce Brown?
1: Yeah. I agree. Next question. No, I'm playing. I okay. agree. It's just like it's one of those things where you can get something for him. Right now, does he fit your system? No. Are you gonna bring him back next season? No. Like I could see maybe if he wanted to decline the team option, work out a longer term option that's cheaper for you. But I don't see why he, where he fits in Toronto in that way, you know, like he'd be a good piece, but Bruce Brown be a solid piece anywhere, you know? Yeah. So those are my thoughts. I definitely think it's something where, yeah, I definitely think it's something where he is rerouted and immediately. I mean, they they asked Usai Mijiri today um, about where they're going to make any more trades and, and Usai said, definitely. So, like, there's going to be something else.
0: So this sort of reminded me of the Drew Holiday to Trailblazers trade for um, Damian Lillard in terms of, I'm not comparing Bruce Brown and Drew Holiday's players at all. That's not why I'm saying that. But more so that, okay, we got X amount of first picks for Dame. Now we've got X amount of first round picks for Drew. And then you have a package of four or five first, basically stemming from the Damian Lillard trade. So if you break it down here, Indiana could sell themselves, oh, we got three first-round picks for Siakam. Now let's flip Bruce Brown for a first and expiring salary. And then all of a sudden, Toronto could sell themselves on, yes, we
2: got three weaker first-round picks from Indiana, but really we got four first-round picks because we got one for Bruce Brown as well.
1: I get what you're There's... saying. So then you could make, like, make it a bigger haul. Like It's almost like, He's the gateway to more assets. So then you can say for Siakam, we got XYZ, 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 and this, and this. Leave out Bruce Brown to be a conduit to getting more draft capital.
0: Same thing that the Trailblazers did when
2: they flipped Drew Holiday to Boston.
1: I was just thinking that.
2: So two clear landing spots for Bruce Brown, in my opinion, in terms of the trade market.
0: First one is the New York Knicks. Not only is Bruce Brown
2: represented by CAA, and obviously we know the ties that they have to the Knicks with World Wide West there, but when when I did the OG Ananobi emergency pod
0: with Chris LeBron and we talked about Ananobi being traded to the Knicks, I basically said the Knicks almost have to use that Evan Fournier expiring salary to Salary match in a trade this year because if not, going forward, if they want to get like a 15 20 million dollar player in a trade, they don't have anybody to salary match for. If I mean, they could pick a 48 um team option and then flip him this season, but realistically, Knicks don't have any anybody that's not a key contributor that is just 15 20 million dollars in dead salary to add another piece. So, I think if they did, and I know this one's already been speculated on Twitter. Evan Fournier and Quinton Grimes for Bruce Brown. And obviously these two teams, even though they're in a lawsuit against each other, have already made one trade together. Why True. not make another?
2: True. See, if I I'm think Toronto, that... mm-hmm. I was going to say if I'm Toronto, I still think I try to squeeze the first out of the Knicks given how many they have. But, yeah, so, so that's where my head's at in terms of,
0: you know, um... Bruce Brown, Knicks. Uh, I, I think that is one of two ideal landing spots for both parties.
1: I I I don't know. I have doubts on the Knicks. I'm just going to say the Knicks need a scoring guard. Like it said, I mean, Mark Stein report, they're looking for like, you know, uh, um, Terry Rogier or Jordan Clarkson. Like Bruce Brown is a solid player, but he's a derivative of a Dante DiVincenzo, right? Like he kind of. Or I was about to say a Josh Hart too. Like, you have like-minded guys who are all pit bulls, who get after defensively, who can pass a little bit and can't shoot a lick. Or, or, or let, me, let me not say can't shoot a lick. They all can shoot either league average to subpar. Like, Bruce Brown doesn't answer the bell in that way for me. You know I liked it. It could work. And I'm sure Coach Tiz would love it and like to deploy it that way. But that's not, like, the best call for New York, you know? Although, like, you broke it down. It makes sense. From like a, 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 I mean, as a player again, Bruce Brown's one of those guys that most teams would like him than not. I'm just saying, for what the Knicks need right now, after having made a move for O.J. and Obi, they need more scoring. They need someone else to break it to lighten the load between Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle. Because yes, O.J. and Nobi wants a bigger scoring role, and I'm sure that'll come. But that's not there right now, right? They need a scoring guard that can release some pressure. And when Julius Randall's shooting five for 21, we're having one of those Julius Randle nights. Things get ugly real quick. Okay,
2: so then let me propose to you my second ideal um, trade partner with Toronto for Bruce Brown. What about the Oklahoma City Thunder?
1: Now that now we're being now we're getting a little interesting. That'll be interesting.
0: So OKC, similar to the Knicks, how I just talked about, how they basically have to use Evan Fournier's expiring salary to salary match, otherwise they lose the opportunity to do that. The Thunder have a similar issue with davis Bertans, which they basically took on davis Bertans to move up in the draft to draft and Wallace, and because of an opportunity like this that they thought they would be competitive, which clearly they were right, and they, they have $17 million of basically dead money that they could flip for another contributor with the amount of picks they have. So does davis Bertans, and, I don't know, maybe they throw in Trey Mann or something, Maybe they throw in my guy, Poku, with the first-round pick. So first-round pick, Davis Breton's and either, like, Trey Mans or Poku to Toronto for Bruce Brown. I know Bruce Brown's repetitive with Lou Doors, but I, I think it makes a lot of sense for what the Thunder
2: need.
1: Yeah, I like it. I think that, I mean, what more are you expecting for bruce brown if you're toronto right like you're not getting a, a young prospect back you're not getting you should be happy with some decent draft capital and an expiring contract right make the money work get some draft picks for your troubles and move on in vocal city they're in a position where listen they can go after any of these big trade targets now or in the future and not lose any of their core right like they just have it like that in draft capital and bruce brown i'm not being disrespectful to him that's like the lower end of the poll of trade targets that you're willing to put stuff on. Like, no, I think that's a perfectly good one. I mean, the fact you've been giving Trey man, like, you're probably doing him a favor.
2: So, let me see. At this point, we saw Siakuma traded, we saw Ananobi get traded. The trade deadline
0: is about two weeks away. And one thing I do want to notice. As of now, Toronto would have the 6th overall pick, the 17th overall pick, and 27th overall pick. In a draft where it may not even be beneficial to move up. I mean, on my other podcast, the One and Done podcast, my co-host John and I were talking about how this is probably the one draft where you want to move down, if anything, because there's not like a big tier of guys at the top. So I, I feel like they're not going to bring in three rookies next year, so they use those ammos, that ammo to trade up. But this is a draft where maybe it's not worth trading up for. Again, Toronto is in a weird predicament where right now they have their own first-round pick, but they win a couple more games. All of a sudden, they lose it, which they probably should want to lose it because then they'll get it in 25 or 26, which are stronger draft classes. It's, you know, pretty... um. Convoluted situation to ban, but given Pascal Siakam and O.J. Anubi were expiring, and they didn't know if they were going to resign either of them.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I think the overall package they did pretty well. In terms of Indiana, where do you think this puts them in the Eastern Conference hierarchy?
1: I don't think it changes it too much, honestly. At least not this year. Um, maybe next year. I think right now, I still look at Boston. I still look at Philadelphia. I still look at Milwaukee. Then I got Indiana.
2: So you but, think Indiana's ahead of the Knicks? Yeah. You think they're ahead of the Cavs?
1: Yeah. Uh, it's helpful that the Cavs have been so injured. Now, if the Cavs are 100 percent healthy, then then it's more of a conversation. But like, you can't discount the fact that Pacers have been playing better all season, right? Like, I don't know how much that's to pull 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 away the injury to Darius Garland to Evan Mobley, and how much that's just the pace been playing better. So I, I I don't think I can a- any more presume that the Cavs are just better on paper. I think it'd be it'd be a fun a fun game a fun series to find out. But as of right now, no, I have them I have them over the Knicks for sure, and I have them over the Cavs right now as well. There's like a second Miami? tier. Regular season, yes. Miami turns to a different animal in the postseason. We all know this, right? But like even in like even when the Miami turns up a notch, I could see Miami being better than Indiana. I still think there's a clear and obvious tier between Boston, Milwaukee and the 76ers and everyone else. Like there's a level of separation between those three, in my opinion. Now, I think Miami's in the picture, but like regular season-wise, I mean, you see how they're playing. Like right now, if it was them or Indiana, I'm taking Indiana.
0: So I really hope now that Siakam's on the Pacers that we get to see a Bucks and Pacers playoff series. I mean, Indiana's beaten the Bucks four times this year. Yeah. And that's before they had anybody who was able to defend Giannis. Now yep. they have Siakam who could somewhat competently no, do it.
1: Somewhat.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say there's no stopping Giannis, but nope. I think Siakam could probably do it almost as well as almost anybody else in the Eastern Conference, I would say. He's better yeah. than what anybody had on what Indiana had prior the four times they beat them anyway. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited. I mean, Indiana, their big thing was they needed legit defense because they were just outscoring teams. That was how they were. Making the money, so now yeah, I'm excited to see. Not only does Yakim improve the offense, but he should drastically, you know, provide switchability to that defense as well.
1: Yeah, that'll be interesting. I definitely want to see how he matches them defensively, especially since him and Miles Turner are really your only real, um, real um, defenders on the Indiana squad.
2: One final note I want to say before we sign off.
0: There's not a rumor, but there's been speculation from people saying, oh, well, the Pacers just could have outright signed Siakam this summer and kept all three first-round picks because they had the cast space assigned to a max. has mm-hmm. made it clear he wants the full max. He doesn't want anything less. If he signed with the Pacers, obviously he's not super max eligible anymore because he was traded from Toronto. But if he wants the full regular max for a five-year, Indiana could now give it to him. Before they were only able to do a four-year max with five percent raise instead of eight percent raises, I believe. So not mm. only is he making more money and getting a fifth year out of it, but for Indiana, everyone said, "Oh yeah, they are the cap space three sign Siakam." No, they didn't. They could have, in theory, made the cap space, but it would have required declining Bruce Brown's team option, um, renouncing Obi Toppin and waiving TJ McConnell because he's uh, partially guaranteed. Mm
2: -hmm. So they
0: would have had to do all three of those things to then have the room to be able to offer Siakam a max.
2: Was it worth it at the cost of keeping maybe Toppin and definitely McConnell for next year? Maybe. Mm -hmm. Possibly.
0: Yeah. I, I think it depends what Indiana does with Toppin in terms of either trading him at the deadline
2: or resigning him, given they kind of have a glut of power forwards now. But, well, that's the thing. Yeah, I mean, but, but two of them are free agents, right? Well, Bruce Brown ended up going in the deal anyway.
1: Yeah, he's gone. Obi Toppin so is a free agent Obi, of the year.
0: Obi Toppin's a restricted free agent so they could match.
1: And then, mm-hmm. And who I am think I he's
0: the only one. I think Jalen Smith, I think, just signed last offseason, didn't he?
1: No, you're right. He did. he did. He did. Yeah, yeah so I think I, you're I, right. Th- I'm looking at it, Buddy Hill we, is the other free agent I was thinking of.
2: Yeah, Buddy, Buddy Hill. Yeah, but I thought we were talking about fours. So, yeah, I'm no, we were.
1: We were. Team. I got mixed up. We were.
2: So,
0: I'm interested to see what they do with Buddy Hill because they have Aaron Neesmith, who's provided pretty elite shooting for them. Now, he's not on the same um, trajectory as Buddy Hill is in terms of Buddy Hill is one of the best shooters of all time. But I, it's going to be interesting to see because. He requested out because they don't want to re-sign him. I wonder if all of a sudden this changes things for them in terms of if they'll be more willing to re-sign Heald, if he still wants out, or if they just want to, you know, take this into the offseason
2: in Indiana. I'm interested to see how that plays out.
1: That's going to be one of those things where this offseason I think will be a a bigger test on who won or lost this trade. Like right now, I know the clear winner of this trade was the Pelicans because Miss Benson was able to duck that tax, right? And they did it without losing a member of their main rotation, right? So like that I understand. As far as the Pacers right now, I want to say they're a winner, but we'll see, right? We'll see what it looks like in the postseason. We'll see what it looks like in the offseason when they decide who they're bringing back, whether Pascal Siakam wants to come back, all of the things, right? And then we'll also see um, for Toronto, whether Bruce Brown gets moved and they get more assets in exchange for that and what that looks like for them as well. So it's a lot in the air, and like you said, the Indiana point is definitely something interesting because, yes, you're making a, a calculated risk, but it's a risk nonetheless. Yes.
2: Could you imagine if Siakam walked hypothetically after the season?
1: Yeah, I, I think of, it's not at all the same, but I remember when the Lakers made a trade for um, Roman Sessions. He's going to be the point guard of the future. And he had a couple of good games for, for the Lakers, fresh off the trade deadline, everything looked great. Then we realized, well, I realized a little bit after that, well, wait a second, the guy can't actually shoot. Then he went and played the first round against Denver and horrible shooting. Um, then the second round, like, they were gone. And then Ramon Sessions didn't necessarily like his L.A. experience, and he was gone. You trade Derek Fisher, who at the time was decrepit but serviceable, and I don't – I think it was some draft cap, but I forgot. But you traded for a guy that you were putting all your eggs in the basket about him being a younger guy, being able to kind of be that player for the Lakers moving forward, and – it did not happen. So I could see it's it's not out of the realm of reality, right? Like, no, it doesn't work out. It's not a great fit right now. Everyone's saying the right things, but most of the time in these trades, people say the right things, you know? And then we see what actually happens on the floor. So it would be crazy. I, I, I got to say on a one to 10, how shocked that would be is like a three. Just because it's always a possibility, right? Uh, but I, 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 let me say a five, because I still would be shocked, but you know,
0: So the the issue is with Siakam leaving is that not only is Indiana the only team that could offer them that five-year max that we talked about, but aside from the Sixers, it's all Utah and Orlando maybe and Detroit. Like, there's not any – San Antonio. There's not really any contenders with cap space. Um, As a Sixers Mm. fan, I don't really know what Daryl Morey is preserving this cap space for this summer. I, I really don't. Kawhi signed an extension. I mean, maybe making Siakam's a run.
1: Maybe
2: he, mm-hmm. So unless it's I'm Paul sorry?
0: George, I said Siakam's likely staying in Indiana. Kawhi signed an extension. So unless he thinks that he could retain Paul George or LeBron James, which both aren't going to happen, I don't know what he's saving his cap space for.
1: Um, I mean, I would think making offseason trade, whether it is Zach Levine, however ill-fated that may be, whether he wants to wait out Pascal Siakam. I mean, I'm sorry. J- Darren Moore has been uh, in charge of James Harden for two years. Where James Harden is demanded to trade out the blue, right? Like, Darren Moore is no stranger to superstars changing their minds.
2: What if we sign James Harden with the gap space?
1: I mean, James Harden said that he wants to stay in Los Angeles and retire as a Clipper. He said that about the Sixers, too. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I said, said that, I know.
2: <laughs> then he said he'll well, never said play for an too, organization. Right? So... Yeah, well, we'll have to see in terms of what the Sixers do with that cast
0: base because all of a sudden this free agency class has pretty much dwindled away.
2: Um, it doesn't seem like Andy Noby's going to leave the Knicks either. So, very few options yeah, in terms no, of. Free so,
1: th- Maybe the, they decide to go after a trade.
0: There's three guys I'm looking for for the Sixers for the deadline. Again, I don't want to go on a Sixers tangent on a Pascal Siakam emergency pod,
2: but. DeJounte Murray is my number one target. Jeremy Grant is number two, and Malcolm Brogdon is number three. I think if Six got any of those three guys, he'd be in pretty good shape.
1: Yeah, I think that those are all solid selections. Uh, DeJounte Murray, yeah, actually, DeJounte Murray would be good in Philly. Like I was thinking, you're right, because then Tyrese could just focus more on scoring, you know. Um, being the guy he is, like Dejounte Murray can kind of play off of that action with them. Be a guy who can make his own shot as well. Defensively, hopefully dial up a little bit more because he definitely lost a little bit of that in Atlanta. And yeah, just see what happens. I think that'd be interesting.
2: Yeah, and everyone's They're talking about Dejounte. Everyone's talking about Dejounte to Timor- the uh-huh. Lakers. People are talking about Dejounte to the But I, I, Timor- I, I, mm-hmm. but I, I just, I, just I, li- don't see, li-
1: uh-huh.
2: I don't see a path. I really don't.
1: I mean, I could see like the roster construction for it, like a trade of those Ru Hachimura or whatever, D but I wouldn't want to do that. Like D has been just fine. Like But Elena, the whole point
0: that Elena wants to trade Murray is that they're gonna be in luxury tax hell. So why why they could take expirings from the Sixers and probably get two first-round picks from the Sixers, as opposed to Lakers who only give one first round pick and guys that aren't expiring, like Hachimura and d
1: well, that's if the Sixers decide to give two first-round picks, though.
0: Yep, that's right. They may not
1: value DeJounte that much highly, you know? And, like, yeah. for the Lakers, I'm not saying it's a good fit. I, I personally don't think it is. I would just rather have D'Lo. Like, DeJounte Murray's defense has not been great in Atlanta. Like, it's just not. Like, is he a better defender than D'Lo? Yes. Has he been one? No, not in my mind. Or not? No, yes, he's been a better defender than D'Lo. But you know what I mean. Has it been marginally the better for the cost of trading the two? No, not in my opinion. But I get what you're saying. Absolutely. But I think for Atlanta, it's the mix that they're in luxury tax hell and they are as bad as they've been. Mm-hmm. If they were better, then it would just be the price of doing business, being a successful team or a semi-successful team in the East. But that's not what they have. They have a team that's underperforming, you know, bad across the board, and yet they're paying a lot of money to guys. I thought DeJounte Murray's contract is actually pretty decent, considering what he could have gotten in the open market, right? But at the same time, he would have got it from Orlando with- which I think will be a good trade fit for DeJounte Murray. I still like the idea of
0: San Antonio and Atlanta kind of undoing that DeJounte Murray um, trade where Spurs basically give Atlanta the two freshman picks back with like maybe Doug McDermott and Jenny Osmond to salary match. And Atlanta just gets those picks back and basically undoes the trade. So, okay. Um, we're starting to go off on a little bit of a tangent. So, mm-hmm. I think in terms of everything with Siakam to Indiana, I, I think we pretty much covered it from a front office aspect. So, mm-hmm. Corbin, where can people find your work?
1: You know, man, aside from me hopping on the show with you, follow me on Twitter at CorbinNBA, C-O-R-B-A-N-N-B-A. Rambo uh, Ramble drops every day. Uh, if you listen to this and you've heard this amazing show, I got to get Steven actually on. You'll be hearing Steven. uh, Steven, I'm letting you know this now. On a separate show, just as my front office expert to talk about some the trade deadline on a more holistic note. Um, So that should be something sometime in the future. I'm not going to say when because I just brought it up just now. But the point being, follow me there. Um, I also host the Roster Reconstruction Podcast on Switch Theory, which I should also have Steven on. But basically, that one is your general roster construction conversations. Um, We did a fun one on um, 90s NBA Hold'em where we took different teams from the 90s that for whatever reason didn't win the chip and we tried to build the ideal roster five man fit around this two-man core uh the only problem or the only caveat we had is they couldn't have only been an all-star or all-defensive team selection one time so that's led for a lot of interesting discussions about fitting around okay how would you fit a team around gary payton and sean kemp like who would you go for would you do a miles turner would you do you know a um uh, Larry Markkinen. Would you go a smaller route? Like it's been some really fun, interesting team-related discussions on a historical note as well. So yeah, all that. Corbin at Corbin NBA C O R B A N NBA. Always. Thank you, bro, for having me on.
0: Yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, again, you guys could hear the song Birdwrights Feed on Rambo Ramble's feed. I do want to do one episode leading up to the trade deadline. Unfortunately, I am not doing the mock trade deadline this year. Obviously, it's a little bit too late. It's already January 18th. You know, we usually start that the first week of January, Corbin. True, true. So, so because I have one final bar exam to take in February, I just I didn't have the time to line it up this year. So what I'm thinking of doing is a trade deadline primer, maybe get Corbin on. We record for two, two and a half, three hours of primer, split it up into multiple episodes. And then after the trade deadline, you know, we'll see how we did. Um, so that's something that I want to do to at least get all the trades
2: in my mind that are always, you know, working um, working work the mechanics in my head. So
0: we could definitely do that. Um, you guys could follow BirdWright's Twitter at Bird Pod. You can follow me on Twitter at the underscore NBA goal. That's N-B-A-G-E-L-L. You can rate and review Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Listen to Bird Rights. Listen to the One and Done podcast. It's my new college basketball podcast. We've been doing a whole bunch of player and coach interviews. We have a couple more really cool guests coming up for that in terms of high-level D1 players and D1 coaches. And we have, we're working on obtaining one of the best high school, most notable high school uh, basketball players. To come on the pod with us. So be on the lookout for that. And Corbin and I will talk
2: to you guys. I'm sure before the trade deadline. So thanks for listening.